Hello, everybody, and welcome to So Did You Like It? Fuck it's another. This. What? Ah, why? It's uh. another film podcast, much like many other, where why we are, we are we not critics. Doing. We don't throw numbers. We don't do ratings. We just watch a movie together, Why and we not? ask ourselves. Why would I? We could just fucking do whatever we want. And each other. So did you like it? I what? I'm your host, Kaz. With me is my illustrious co-host. Do you want to know who I am? Do you not see what I am? I am the man clutching his dog that you just ran over, screaming at you. What have you done to my boy? What have you done? <laughs> That's right. Today we watched The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, continuing our yearly tradition of starting the podcast off for the first uh, the first year, uh, podcast of the year with The Mummy Movie. I hate this one's everything direct. right now. <laughs> Directed by Rob Cohen and stars Brendan Fraser, Jet Li, and Maria Bello. Hey, Alfred Goh, Miles Miller, people who wrote this movie? Yeah, come fucking talk to me, alright? We got some things to talk about. I, we watched this movie, we started a new school, we gave ourselves an extra day to think about the movie. I have been a broken man for four days. Now, four days. This is how we started the new year. This is the energy for Squared right now. Who knows where I'll be next week? You have no idea what happened to me this week, guys. You don't understand. Oh, you weren't That's there. True. I'm fairly certain he went on a retreat, not voluntarily, naked somewhere in the woods to discover himself or I, something. I just woke up with, like, fucking Brendan Fraser's name carved into my skin. I have no idea where I am. Someone told me I've been being crazy, but I'm thinking to myself, I think I'm allowed to be crazy after the shit I just saw. Whatever happened to you is, like, the opposite of, like, a sleeper agent. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Calm, collective man who normally, but then the magic, you were activated, and now... Now you've become, I don't know what this I am is. a broken man, Kaz. <laughs> Would you like to talk about the movie we watched this week? Would we like to talk about something? How about we start out with a, a, a huge point about storytelling? Let's let's talk about storytelling for a second before we jump into this. Hey, hey guys. Hey, Alfred, Miles. You know, character regression to character progression isn't storytelling. You can't have a character that's already established as something, then regress him for no fucking reason. You just chose. You just felt like, ah, I guess this is how my dad raised me, so this is what I'm gonna fucking do. I don't know. And then you just make him, at the end of the movie, as good as he was in the second movie. Like, what did you do to my boy? That, that, that was bizarre, that we have regressed uh, Rick O'Connell just so he could end up where he started in the second movie. Look, and let me explain what we're talking about here. Okay, so in this film, it definitely, obviously it takes place after The Mummy 2. Like, they wanted to bring in an adult Alex, which I totally understand. Alex was an important part of the second movie. And, you know, he's the one that kicks off the, the Scorpion King adventure, you know? But you can't do a second movie where, like, he this man races against time and, like, 
He's flying in a Zeppelin made in the jungle by the end of it, racing to save his son. And stop, like, he doesn't even actually really care about the end of the world at the moment. Like, that's secondary. What is on his mind is saving Alex. We have this beautiful moment of him just, like, he grabs his son, and they're running to the Golden Pyramid to escape the curse. And they dive together, and he is just holding his son because he's afraid his son's soul is going to be, like, sucked out of his body via Egyptian curse, you know? And it's beautiful. And then you guys just make him an asshole? <laughs> you just make him a yeah. total jackass in this movie? Suddenly he's in this movie and he's like, hey, it's implied that I love I don't need him. to I don't say have it. To show it. I'm his dad after all. I'm like, this is the man who was like, had his son in his arms as they were both exhausted as shit from running, outrunning the literal son, or I think it was like the shadow of the son. Or, or the, the sh- I don't know if they were outrunning the shade or if they were outrunning the sun. Either way, uh, they're outrunning <laughs> like a concept itself as they were going to this pyramid, and they're in like he's holding his son in his arms. Is like wow, we freaking made it. And then this Rick O'Connell is like, I what the entire time he was like, get him off me. <laughs> like what? Like what's the- suddenly he doesn't love his son anymore? <laughs> I mean. He can't show it because that's not what dads do. No, that's not what dads do. Because Rick O'Connell only loves his son in dangerous world-ending situations. Every other time in his life, who fucking cares? It's just a kid. But when the kid's involved... Oh, you're still around? (laughs) (laughs) When the kid's involved in some just fucking shenanigan uh, mummy bullshit... That's love right there. That's when a father's passion truly comes out. And in between adventures, it's just like, oh, why are you still here? I'm trying to satiate your mother's uh, mummy kidnapping fetishes. You remember that time, wife, wife of mine, where they were about to plunge a dagger into you and turn you into a completely different person, erasing your being and just so you could be the revived wife or, or lover of a dead mummy, and that gets her so hot. <laughs> Why did Evie develop a weird fetish about this? Oh, don't even get me started on Evie. Oh my god, Evie, what have you done to my girl? What have you done? Oh my god. Okay, all right. I'll say okay, this. All right. I'll say this. The actress does fine, I guess. Yeah, all right. Like, like fine. Like, I'll give you person. that. Maria Bello, who plays the new new version of Evie, because Rachel Weiss was down to come back for this movie. Rachel Weiss was down to do a third movie. It's only yeah. when she read the script that she was like, "Hey, you know what, guys? I think it's time for you to fly on your own, and good luck." Like, Smart. you know, Honestly. I think I'm holding you back from achieving your greatness. So you go for it, and because. Oh. Look, Evie was established as an Egyptologist, someone who cared so much about the passion of history about Egyptian culture that that is what she had devoted her life to. You had set her up for two straight films of being this type of person. She cared so much for history. Even when there wasn't zombies coming back to life, she just wanted to know everything she could. The adventures were secondary. 
how does it make sense to turn her into a basically a pulp fiction romance writer where she's now writing <laughs> stories based off of her own life experiences and that's what's important there's an entire sequence where like she's in her room thinking about her next novel about scarlet and i like i don't even know the other like what rick's like fake name is in the books like adventure like what what happened to the woman that wanted to, like, be better than the Bainbridge scholars and wanted to, like, prove, like, herself within the world of academics. And not only that, like, uphold her family legacy because both of her parents were celebrated Egyptologists and archaeologists. What the fuck happened? What happened to our adorable librarian? What happened to our adorable librarian? Why do you do this shit? Like, what? Well, you see, World War II changes you. Oh, yeah, that's right. Let's get into that. So this is post-World War II. And what did we find out, Kevin? What did the O'Connells do during World War II? They keep it a little vague, but they became international spies or something? Like they don't even talk. They don't even specifically mention World War Two. I don't think, but they mention how, like, the time period. I think it's supposed to be based around. Maybe I'm reading it wrong, but I think it's would be World War Two. And they just like talk about like all their like weird spy adventures and how they're like you know cool with like the CIA or some shit. I just <clears throat> and look, I get it. We all watched Indiana Jones. We all saw it. We all thought it was great. Indy was taking on the Nazis. It was a fun time. You wanted to copy that. But you had a perfect story written up, actually. Because what you could have done was focus on uh, efforts made by the British government to destabilize the war effort from Japan in China. That was the story you could have gone with. But no, instead you give us vague tellings and then, like, why are the O'Connells bored? Can you explain that to me? Cass, could you even understand that? Like, why are the O'Connells bored in their life now? Because they became weird caricatures. Like, Rick O'Connell is just now learning what fishing is. <laughs> he is only adventure. That's all he is. He's Rick Ven Adventure O'Connell. <laughs> Without adventure, his life is meaningless. Evie once again, I think, when she's not playing out her, like, mummy ritual fetishes, is writing novels now and living for that adventure. Also, Jonathan, I feel like, needed no lines in this, this, this movie other than just saying, greed, money, 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 greed, greed, money. <laughs> oh, yeah, and you gotta... I love how you say caricature, too. Like, you use the word caricature. Because what does Jonathan do? Like, what? what's the name... What does he do? Like, what's his venture in China? Do you remember? Uh, He owns a this mother bar. A mummy This motherfucker <laughs> opened up a bar named Imhotep's. You know, I'm not even against that, honestly. That's <laughs> and they were going to go harder, too. They originally wanted the waitresses that were going to be in the movie to be painted like a Nox and a Moon. Ugh. Ugh, that would have been in really poor taste for Jonathan. 
Imagine, imagine Evie showing up to that bar, just oh, having yes. psychosis flashbacks. She just takes knives off of the wall decorations, starts just ha- going ham. Fucking challenging every each one of them to a duel. <laughs> um, I would rather have that because at least her life would mean something again, and she would be a fucking pulp fiction writer. Like, you're telling me Evie is writing romance novels? She's not even writing, like, research papers or, you know, her own actual, like, biographies and history books? Like, she isn't expanding the knowledge of the world? She is writing romance novels that get women just... They're feeling okay after they read it, you know? Now, the son... Their, her, their son, Alex, you pointed out something absolutely fantastic that I guess in the intervening years between being a small boy and him being a, an adult, you know, an adult man now, uh, somehow completely switched accents, which <laughs> Oh, amazing. yeah, she, he's, he's got a, he has a full-on British accent just like his mom in the second movie because guess what? They live in the United Kingdom. They live in Evie's home country. Because Rick really doesn't feel connected to America. He doesn't care. He joined the French Foreign Legion, for God's sake. He really doesn't care. How does Alex now have an American accent with a country twang to it? (laughs) I think to describe... Once again, c- considering everyone's like a caricature of themselves. Um, though I don't know if I would really say go that hard for Alex. You know how... Now, this is going to be a weird tangent, but it's, bear with me. You know how when that Godzilla movie came out, that American one, like not the... Oh, the the one with Matthew Broderick? Like back in the not 90s? Not the one with Matthew Broderick. The oh, the, Brian Cranston. the one with Brian Cranston. So, Brian... This one comes out with Brian Cranston. Now, whether the movie is good or not, I'm not arguing that one. I'm always going to be not. so upset with that movie. It's not, but you watch the movie and you're like, okay, Brian Cranston's character is kind of interesting. I could go, I could fuck with this. And then early on, very early on, they kill Brian Cranston and you're stuck with just military man. Yeah, they kill Brian Cranston before Godzilla even shows. Like Brian Cranston doesn't even get to see Godzilla. He just gets to see Bug Dude. I don't know military man's name. I don't know what, you know, what his whole deal was. I don't care about military man. He was just boring military man who's like, I guess he's just our eyes on the ground while shit's going down. That's what this kid is. Yeah. That's what O'Connell's son is. I was like, oh, okay. So now he's the. Since Rick, I guess, is now fishing now with his life. Um, and, okay, look. The guy that plays. He's play- the new Rick. Wait, actually, too. You know what's even crazier, too? This. All right. Luke. Luke. Luke Ford is his name. Luke, let me talk to you right now. I'm sorry. You did your best. You really did. But also. How are you a Canadian-Australian actor doing an American accent for the country <laughs> twang for a character that would explain why the country in the twang. United Kingdom his entire life? Give me that explanation. Please, please, Luke. Also, look, nothing against you, my man. Nothing against you whatsoever. But you're only 13 years younger than Brendan. It didn't oh. work. <laughs> Oh, that was so funny, because, like, I think I had texted you at one point while we were watching this movie. I said, how how 
far in how close in age is Brendan Fraser to the guy who's playing his son? Because you know, once so as we established, they had the weird like, hey, uh, you know, Rick is weird about like, you know, I don't show affection. You know, I'm a dad. Dads don't do that kind of bullshit. Uh, but then we did have a scene where they were honestly kind of having a heart to heart, like right in front of each other. And I'm watching these two grown ass men. And I'm like, he doesn't look like he's his dad. <laughs> this man looks like, you know, they met on like a fucking like fucking racquetball fucking just like, like meet up. <laughs> this looks like a situation both, where Rick both talking about their wives and their 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 jobs right now. I'm like, this is not a father and son. You could have you could have convinced me that Rick t- was a guest professor for one semester in an American college for some fucking reason and adopted this kid as a like it's like you don't have a dad, you ain't got no pa. And he just loves that kid. And Alex could have just been like, hey, dad is just like, yeah, this is my other son. You could have done something else. Because you can't be Alex, all right? You, you can't be. You can't. Because O'Connell didn't have his son at the age of 13. <laughs> he didn't. Well, now, here's the thing. If I were to... Now, I, I'm not making a... I'm not really married to this defense. But if I were to provide some kind of defense... I. Okay. Brendan Brendan Fraser looks great. He was like 40 when they did this movie. He looks great for 40 actually. Yes. He, he You could did. have gotten someone who would have been closer to Alex's actual age and I still would have been like, "Man, that guy must have had that kid young." So honestly, if he looked like that when he was 13 and they were both 13, who knows at this point? <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> no, but seriously, he does look really he does look really like really good in this movie. I was like, "I wouldn't have figured him for 40, honestly. I would have figured him for like 35 the most yeah and he put him and like honestly i'm sorry brendan like mr fraser i i adore your movies i grew up with a lot of them even george of the jungle which is dumb as hell but i love it you should have said no like i know we were in a bad place probably and you needed a paycheck but you should have said no Like, you you read the script, you saw this, you saw the signs. Like, what are you trying to tell me right now? You can't just tell me Rick O'Connell and his son, who looks... who looks not that much younger than his dad, are just gonna stand here making fucking dick-sized comparison arguments using Uh... guns. I think that's when I text you just, ah. Yeah, because yeah, it was way too long. I didn't need three minutes of this uh, this dialogue. I don't need you to tell me that, no, it's not about the length of the barrel or the girth of the stock. It's all about the firepower and the strategic use. Like, like if you were to, like, contrast that to the scene that he had with, the magi in the second one where they're looking in the trunk and it's got all these weapons and he's like oh yeah you know they're just pulling out weapons like hey you want one of these and the guy's like no i'm 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 more you know i'm more partial to this one kind of thing there wasn't a dick measuring there wasn't a whole like oh my gun's bigger it was like all right yeah you got what's comfortable with you we're we're going on this adventure we're gonna go save my kid and instead (laughs) You contrast that with this, and it's like, oh my god, I hate these characters. I hate all of them. I hate it. I hate it so much. And you know, we're not even, we haven't even gotten to the mummy yet. 
Because they got Jet Li for this. They got Jet Li to play this Chinese emperor that is a super badass and also like is a sorcerer that can channel the Chinese fire uh, five elements: fire, water, earth, wood, and metal. And like, it's great. And you'd think it's gonna be great. And it starts off really promising because you can tell they put him up against another martial artist for the sequence where they introduced him because it had some really great choreography in the first five minutes of the film. It never shows up again because Brendan Fraser doesn't know Kung Fu. Yeah, yeah. The, when, when he starts fighting um, other actors who you can tell have not had choreography training or not extensively or martial arts training, you can tell that this is a man holding back and it shows. Like holding so far back. Like this dude is probably yawning during choreography class because this wasn't even choreography at this point. You're telling me that the that I'm sorry, you can't I cannot suspend disbelief enough to know that Brendan Fraser with his drunken sloppy boxing style is going to defeat Jet Lee. <laughs> like I know an untrained man can be dangerous, but a trained man to the point to where like He's made his whole career off of this. Yeah, I think he's going to be A-OK, my dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really should have had something thrown in there that would have uh, yeah. maybe had him. It's almost had like him. it's almost like I- you could have used Michelle Yeoh, who you had signed up as a Chinese sorceress who was in, what was it? What was that small film called? Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? You know that small little gem of a film no one knows about, but... Did they do that? He's there. <laughs> I hate everything. I hate. I hate it. I hate it. I hate where we are right now. I hate this this timeline. I hate this storytelling. I'm gonna keep trucking because I'm not done you with have- this. But sh- you had Michelle Yo. If I'm saying her name gives up wrong, her- I am so sorry. I will try my best in the future. But you had a legend already. Yeah. Yeah. By then she. By then, she has was well, well into martial arts and well trained, and as you said, did Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Like her pedigree had been at least on display in in um, the West. I'm not fucking letting them off like this. I'm not just gonna like mention one movie. I'm going into her filmography right now. Where are you? Where are you, Michelle? Before 2008. Before remember, yes, has definitely blown oh, up. Oh yeah, now. before 2008, because you know that was so fucking long. Oh, that's right. She was in Police Story 3, Super Cop. She was also in Super Cop 2. If you don't know those films, those are some classic Jackie Chan movies. She was also in... uh, That's right. She was in Wing Chun, the film about the woman who created the martial arts style Wing Chun, practiced by Ip Man himself. Also, Donnie Yen, the actor that portrays Ip Man in the famous films. What's happening, man? You're making it seem like their decisions are Oh, my God. She, <laughs> I just, I just, she was in Jet Li's Fearless. She was only in the director's cut version, but she was even in Jet Li's Fearless. I don't even know if she does like martial arts in it, but she doesn't need to because she's dope as hell. What were you thinking? Well, in this one, she and her daughter give up their immortality to save a white man. I need you to say that out loud again without (laughs) laughing. I need you to say it again. So so that's nice. (laughs) No, no, no. Start from the beginning. Tell the story. We haven't even told the story. So I'm going to leave this to you because I'm losing my fucking mind here. I was so annoyed at the whole back and forth with, like, the daughter, Lynn 
um, and 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 Rick's son uh, because it was the most awkward meet cute of like oh hey look they're both like she's trying to kill me isn't I love her it was oh I think I made like a joke like oh just like Princess Mononoke because she's ready to like fucking stab him in the fucking neck or whatever and he's just like you're beautiful <laughs> which I guess is all you need to do to stave off an assassin if only we had tried that before um and then, yeah, they had this awful, awful conversation at one point because, you know, there's like they're slowly running into each other here and there. And it's, you know, played to be cutesy, but it's just cringe, all the cringe. And at one point, she's a thousand year old, you know, lady who had, has been around for ages, uh, raised by her mother. And I guess, you know, secluded or whatever shit. But like, I forgot one bit where he just starts nagging her and just like telling her like, like just frustrating her or like you're saying how like she's being bratty or whatever. And then she literally just starts like lashing out like she's some kind of teenager in love or something. And I was like, this character sucks. Yeah, because, you know, Rick O'Connell definitely would have taught his son Alex the classic American technique of negging. Because, you know... Did he do any of that? Because, you know, you know, negging is how Rick got Evie. He negged her. He got... She, he, he forced her to settle so hard. We remember that story, right, Kaz? That's what happened? It's not like it was a love story or anything. Yeah, she she just she just dropped everything and all that she was uh, stood for. Because it's not like... For this exactly. Man. It's not like we find out at the beginning of the second movie that no, Rick give his, has given up his mercenary life and his like uh, careless ways to marry and start a family and work in the field of his wife helping her. You know that father would teach his son nagging so hard. It worked. She gave up her immortality so they could be for, to, for together while she's lived thousands of years and... That's a whole kind of, like, experience that, like, one, like, there's so much she could give to the world. But I, you know what, hey, that's not on her. Uh, gave up her immortality. Now, we've thought, you know, people like to make fun of uh, uh, um, age dynamics <laughs> when it's like, you know, guys usually, like, older than, you know, whatever. They're, you know, actors, it's usually, like, a 50-year-old dude and, like, a 20-year-old or 20-some-year-old actress, and they'll just, like, oh, yeah, there we go. That makes sense in Hollywood. It's weird, but whatever. That's a thing that we like to poke fun at because it's a funny, weird thing to do. Uh, now, the actors and actresses aren't that far apart, but this woman is over a thousand years old. Yep. Yep. And he's, like, 20... Two? 25? I don't fucking care. <laughs> I don't care. He could be 52 and I wouldn't give a shit. And she loves him so much in the little that they've known each other that she gives away her immortality to save his dad and live her life with him. You know, after she tried to kill him at the beginning of the movie, because all good romance begins with attempted murder. Like I said, that's just a meat cute at this point. Is it? Is it? I don't know. I guess I'm just old-fashioned. I thought you were supposed to just say hi to a girl first and take her out on a nice date. Uh, ask out guy, girl, uh, they, them, doesn't matter. Not when you, you just treat them right and, you know, they have a good time together. Not when you go to, when you go to the Ashitaka School of Romance. Ashitaka! You... <laughs> 
You get the woman to try to kill you, and you tell her she's the most gorgeous. And you let her regurgitate the dried meat into your mouth hole. I'm not okay, guys. And that's okay. Do not be okay. If you take anything away from this episode, it's okay. And hey, our uh, our uh, our you know wild. Hey, look, we need one of these. Apparently, every movie pilot. Who's going to get us where we need to go? This one was the most forgettable, lame one of all of them. <laughs> and it was... I don't know, remember his name. And that's what sucks. Like, oh, yeah, you he had Liam Cunningham, who was later known as one of the better uh, characters on Game of Thrones, even by the end of the series. At least his character didn't completely shit the bed. And his name is Mad Dog McGuire. That's dope as hell. That, that was Liam Cunningham? Cunningham, and you didn't even fuck? use him. You didn't even try. I didn't even recognize. Oh man! And it <laughs> starts when you meet this guy. character. It's great because like Alex is Alex goes to Uncle Jonathan's bar, and he just wants to. At first, he's going to see Jonathan, but then he sees a sultry woman with a you know credible gaze and red lips, and he decides, you know what, Uncle Jonathan. I gotta go shoot my shot. And then gets punched out of the room by this mad dog, McGuire, only for Rick to show up be like, we're old friends. And he's just like, no, look, I don't care if he's your son. I gotta teach this kid a fucking lesson. And I was over here like, fucking do it, man. I, at this point, we're only 20 minutes into this movie. I fucking hate this kid. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. Yeah. I feel bad for Tucker. I haven't warned him about how this was going to go because I knew it was going to be like this. This has been pent up for so long. <laughs> He's just going to have to sort through all of this because it's just a fucking madhouse up here. I will say that um, it is funny that the CGI just refuses to be good for any of these movies ever. <laughs> The first one was maybe the closest, and that's because they didn't get too ambitious with it, I guess. Even then, it's very hammy. It looks very much like uh, uh, the movie The Haunting, when those ghosts on the chariots drive by and they're all glossy as shit. And then the second movie, you need not look further than the CGI Dwayne the Rock Scorpion Johnson. And then this one... Just continue. I was like, you know, hey, may- maybe at least in 2008, maybe we've got better CGI for these movies. And they just leaned into, nah, fuck no, you. Are you telling me, guys, you didn't like the Yetis? <laughs> there were with- so Yetis. Those, those Yetis. Those Yetis were on Michelle yeah, Yost. They were on Team Magic. <laughs> Because I was like, oh, shit, the Yetis is... I, like, honestly, I was all down for, like, they're all fighting, and then a fucking third-party Yeti. Like, at first I thought they were with, with the Team Mummy, but then they started beating ass to, like, some of the, you know, uh, people on their side. And I was like, oh, shit, just a third-party Yeti just comes in for no reason, starts tearing it up. But no, I guess they were good guys, They Yetis? were the good guy Yetis the entire time. <laughs> Which... I don't know, it was less cool, but then afterwards, they just, like, after that one fight, they just went home. I don't think... Well, because Yetis can't go to the desert, silly. (laughs) Yetis can help us fight in our wars. 
Maybe I'm the it's asshole just, for thinking if you have an army just, of yetis, okay, you could like, just let's bring them with you. It's perspective. <laughs> and the abominable snowman, not abominable wait, wait, Mr. Sandman. In the first movie, when something bad happened, when the when Emotep was summoned and things were going wrong, at the when they first needed to be saved, the Magi came and saved them, and we were explaining, they kind of explained their purpose a little bit. So you had that to save them. In the second movie, you didn't actually really have that. It was really it was one magi, a magi with them from a good amount of it, and then uh, Rick, or the O'Connells with Jonathan, and then the the other pilot they had picked up. I can never remember his name. Uh, but like there was no one that really kind of like saved the day for the O'Connells in that movie, right? In this one, you. You just went with yetis. <laughs> you didn't set that up. There weren't any yetis that were just in the beginning of the movie when they were explaining the emperor's story. <laughs> and then, well, I mean, of course, Shangri-La exists because why the fuck not? Again, we didn't talk about this, but here we are. You know, we've just been leaping from character to character with a little bit of story in there. Because That's what honestly, this movie was! How, in- <laughs> how interesting was the story? But then again, how interesting were the caricatures? It just... I'm sorry. Like, if this is a... If this sounds insane to you, if I sound insane to you, I'm just... We are legitimately telling you what happens in this movie. We might not be sequential in it. We might go going detail by detail. This is not a King Arthur episode. We're trying not to be like King Arthur again. But this was just wild. My man's Jet Lee turned into a Mortal Kombat I dragon. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and he flew into the sky. Blue fire. It's a Mortal Kombat dragon. <laughs> I don't... I don't know what to tell you guys. And honestly, uh, I guess Michelle Yeoh's character, so, like, she was brought in as some kind of, like, sorceress who would give, like, the Emperor immortality or something like that. And then he wanted her to marry him, but she fell in love with someone else. And so, blah, 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 conspiracy, she kills the person that she loved and then, I guess, tries to kill her. And then she makes her escape uh, while I think she turns him, that's when she turns him into a terracotta also, man. so here's another thing. <laughs> clay man. I, I know miracles exist, you know? I know there are ways that, like, in science and medicine have advanced that, you know, this might be possible. <laughs> so <weird>. <laughs> But <laughs> if, if my memory serves correctly, when the emperor betrays the sorceress to after murdering her lover in front of her, he stabs her in the stomach. But then she has a baby it was a small bean at the time but you're telling me the trauma of being stabbed and bleeding out while in a time when there wasn't just like you saw her ride away on a horse bleeding i honestly didn't think she was gonna she was gonna be alive after that And now she has a daughter. So, and then, so I guess they're trying to tell us that she drank the water of life, and then they both survived, and that's why her daughter was born with immortality. What the fuck? <laughs> you didn't even mention. You didn't even mention 
like the water of life. You mentioned an immortality spell, and then you just dropped Shangri-La in the middle of the movie. Look, let's talk about Shang-Chi for a second. Let's talk about Shang-Chi from the MCU. Because, we, let's be real, it's a strong movie. It's a very strong movie for like what its genre is. The third act can be a little bit rough, though, because you go into this mystical world, and it turns into a lot of CGI, and like... You don't know if it's fully necessary to have told that great to like like you might have been able to tell a better story if you just would have like stayed a little bit more grounded. But at least you could have guessed that this was where it was going because Tao Lo or Tao Lo, yeah, I think that's what it was called, is introduced at the beginning of the movie. Like she is telling the story of the Mandarin and like uh Wen Wu meeting her for the first time, looking for this mystical city and that it exists, this mystical land. You did not do this for Shangri-La. You just dropped it in there and just expected us to be okay with that. It would be like if you had one of those movies where they have like the montage of our heroes traveling to a place and it has a little dotted line on a map, whatever, and we just threw in Shangri-La as like one of the places <laughs> they passed by. The Indiana Je- I love just that. I that- love that idea. <laughs> because it doesn't even end in Shangri-La. There's no giant battle to save Shangri-La. We go back to the Great Wall of China. <laughs> it's just a stopping point on the way to the adventure. Listen, we're just going to gloss over it. Okay. We may have found the city of El Dorado, but we're actually just kind of looking for something else. So we're going to leave this. So for most of this movie, also, like, the emperor is trying to raise his terracotta army to be, like, an immortal army to conquer the world. And he does succeed, so you get a mummy army. Because, like, they wanted to use the terracotta army. They really did. Like, it was the original concept Stephen Summers came up when he originally thought about doing a third movie. Yeah. I mean, the terracotta army is just... a cool totally makes sense. Thing. So then they come up with the story that the Great Wall of China is filled with the bodies of dead warriors, which, I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, actually. I don't know how the Great Wall was built. I haven't done my history on China. Uh, but that's how you get a mummy army to fight the mummy army. Mummy versus mummy. Yeah, when you told me one of those, one of the good mummies that they featured a lot was supposed to be, like, Michelle Yeoh's, yeah. like, lover from back then... I was like, I think it was like after he finally died and you're like, well, there he goes. I was like, wait, that was him. And that was already pissing me off because let's talk about real quick how General Ming died. His name was General Ming. He was the right hand of the emperor, but the emperor still killed him because the emperor be bad. Anyway, so how he killed General Ming was tying each one of his limbs to a separate horde, having him pulled to death. That implies it's a classic, right? A classic. A a classic way of killing people back then. They usually did drawing and quartering, though I think they just skipped the drawing part. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well. I don't know how drawing, like, I don't know how horse pulling works, but I kind of assumed more than one limb would get ripped off. So when I saw this mummy with only, like, with with one arm and still two legs and and had a functioning sword play, I was like, I mean, were you really that injured? <laughs> yeah, now I just imagine, because they, they cut away before, you know, you see anything. It's You're just implied and all that stuff. So now I just imagine the horses all go, they pull them, it just gives a little bit of resistance, and it goes, ow! And then they just kind of stop and pull back together. <laughs> and this whole time, he was really alive, and Michelle Yeoh was like, ah, 
bleeding somewhere going like, I'll get my <laughs> revenge. served the emperor for another 20 years <laughs> trying to revive him before <laughs> dying, losing his arms to the attack of the invasion of an invasion of Hun, the Hun army. <laughs> and they're just like, well, did you learn anything? And he's just holding like the rope burns on his arm, just like, yeah. My life sucks. My <laughs> Yeah, the fact that he has all of his limbs is really weird, <laughs> considering they gave him a very horrific death and they featured it pretty prominently. Can we talk about the Mortal Kombat fatality? Can we talk about that? Can we talk about, <laughs> about this situation? <laughs> okay, so look. Here, here's something one. that we learned about <laughs> Lin think. early on, is that she has a cursed dagger that can kill the Emperor, but the dagger has to pierce his heart. <laughs> oh, yeah. so so uh michelle uh lynn's mother is dying because she lost to the emperor and lynn is gonna stay with her as she dies so uh, rick takes the dagger and rick and alex are going to go kill the emperor lo and behold during the fight the dagger breaks because of course but you also need to know something the original strategy for the final plan that Rick came up with was that they needed to divide. So while Rick is getting his ass kicked uh. by the Emperor, he is not winning. There is no way he's winning. Like, he is getting destroyed by this man. And Jet Li isn't even trying. It's so boring. Oh my gosh, this is the worst I've ever seen Jet Li. Like, like it just... It's like watching Omni-Man toy with a human type of situation, you know? Like, if we're going to use Invincible, where, like, you could see he was tired and just kind of bored. Like, I get it, you know? Like letting them think they have a chance. Letting them think they have a chance. So Rick, of course, gets his ass kicked to where he falls down next to the broken dagger, where he finds the hilt, but not the broken blade. But drawn in the sand is a divide. A little callback to the second movie, because remember, Alex would leave little hints in the sand about where he was going. Oh, you know, I didn't put that together. That actually is... Yeah, dumb as shit, because, like, <laughs> what, you're telling me you can't make a 3D uh, divide symbol after you can make perfect <laughs> models of the Egyptian monuments? Sorry, I'm, I'm hating on this too much. I'm just giving it, I'm giving it some bullshit. Anyway, so... Alex is sneaking behind the emperor. You, want, you wanted to see him make a sandcastle that's the concept of exactly. division. <laughs> I, wanted him, I wanted him to show a situation where it was like a besieged army in a town and you've got a main force that is attacking it while there is a secondary force divided from the main one that is conquering from the second from a rear position. <laughs> Give me some craftsmanship, Alex. What happened to you? Yeah, you used to be so you creative used to be as a so boy. so much. What have they done to my boy? <laughs> okay, tell them how he dies. Tell them how the Emperor dies. I, I, you know, all I remember, if you want to do the setup to the final hit, all I remember is the final hit. Okay, okay, setup, setup. I will set up to the final hit. So we got... We got Rick still getting his ass kicked, but then he starts putting in some punches, and right? Headbutts. But at the other side, you got you got Alex. He's got like the blade in his mouth. He's like in the chamber where like I I don't know what the Emperor needed to do in this chamber. I can't really remember. I think he was like having to do some magic army shit to like summon something or whatever. Anyway, no one really cared at this point. Like there's water in the room because of course there's water. There's been water here this entire time. Even though no one's been in this room forever, there is totally blue, clean, clear water. 
waterways. So Alex is swimming so he could get behind the Emperor. And he comes in leaping with the blade. What happens, Cass? Well, Brendan, sorry, Rick O'Connell goes for a thrust right through the front part of his chest to the heart. His son comes up with his approach right from behind. Aerial attack. Swinging that fucking thing down. Hitting the blade side. I guess palming it. They don't really show how. But just right through his back. Right through his back. Piercing to the heart. To the front. To, and yeah, you know, Rick kind of is like... It needs- so yeah, before we, before we collect, before we finish this off, you have to imagine this. Broken hilt, little bit of blade, stabbing close to the heart. Blade, no hilt, from behind, coming in from the back of the heart. Like, coming in close to the back of the heart. Again, we have no idea how Alex is stabbing this deep into the Emperor. They do not show his hand position, because it makes absolutely no sense. I think they even, someone even has, like, remarks that, like, the blade isn't long enough to go through the heart now that it's broken, kind of, or the hilt where it's at, whatever. And yet, they're able to stab him right the fuck through, and our man starts falling apart dramatically. How exactly? Like, it is... The tip and the hilt Oh, that's right. pulls the knife out of him, and the front part, the pointy bit of the blade is now... Just digging into the other, the cutoff part of the blade that, that where the hilt is attached to, and he just pulls the blade out where it's like now inserted into itself backwards. And then Rick looks at him and is like, now you can rule forever in hell. Oh, no, he does the dramatic pause and everything. In hell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now can rule forever. Like, the moment he paused, I think I said out loud, <laughs> in hell, just... Because I, that's the most cliched thing to say. <laughs> we knew where it was going. It was easy to tell. They weren't fucking hiding it from us. Everyone is just going through the motions of, like, action movie cliches. Or, I guess, adventure Indiana Jones cliches. So, Terracotta Army dies. Mummy Army fades into the wind. Maybe entering heaven. Who fucking knows? Uh, Lynn... In love with Alex, ready to settle down after a thousand years and live her life finally by being his wife. Uh, Rick and Evie rekindling their relationship, even though it kind of didn't even seem like it needed rekindling. It just seemed like, you know, they were both just like in their like peaceful phase, but not in their peaceful phase. It didn't make sense. It was kind of dumb. Anyway... And Jonathan decides to sell the bar to Mad Dog McGuire because he wants to get the fuck out of Shanghai. And, of course, we find out that Jonathan found the big shiny diamond that was in this movie because, of course, there was a big shiny diamond. We had Jonathan in this movie. Why wasn't there going to be a big shiny diamond without Jonathan? That's how they got the actor. He's waved a shiny rock in front of the actor. He's like, I'm back, baby. (laughs) He was paid in that diamond. He was painted in that diamond. He gets into a taxi. It's just like, where to, sir? Get me to the airport. I got to get out of China. I'm going to Peru. It's far away from uh. any movies. And then like an Indiana Jones movie, with that font it ends, it was later discovered that mummies were in Peru. You cannot fucking end your movie like this. You did. You thought it was okay. You made a choice. But did you think it was actually going to work? You didn't think we were going to look at that and be like, well, you thought, I think, what, you thought we were going to look at that and just laugh? And just be like, ha, 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 ha. No. No. 
You do not get that from me. You will never get I'm that from so me. I'm so glad I didn't get like an Avengers style like Rick O'Connell will return. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. But Kaz, I have something. And it's going to be a long one. But I'd really like to read this for you. An early version of Go and Miller's script contained many callbacks to the previous films that went unused. The original prologue had Zhu Young... Uh, going to Hamanoptra and making a terracotta copy of the Book of the Dead, featuring the puzzle box key from the first film. Instead of the oracle bones, Zhu Yang uses the book's terracotta copy to curse the emperor and his army. The book would also have been used to resurrect the emperor instead of the elixir of life. Jonathan not only named his nightclub after Inotep, but styled the barmaids with the Noxinamoon's body paint. The Bainbridge scholars that Evie frequently mentioned in the first film would have returned in a minor role as the character of Sir Colin Willoughby. The head of the society would play a role in the Dragon Emperor's resurrection in Wilson's place. In the second film, Mila says three men will receive their their just rewards. The Emperor Mummy says Yang will get his reward when the Emperor conquers a larger world. During the final battle... Alex's slingshot would have returned to play a vital role in defeating the Emperor. I'm not done yet. Like in the previous films, the early draft contained more body horror elements, including a crocodile eating Okamura's arm, and maggots, bones, fragments, and fossilized guts seeping through the Memi Emperor's wounds. After becoming immortal, the Emperor forms a new brain, eyeball, and skin grafts over his cracked body. In his mummy form, the Dragon Emperor shared a few similarities with Imhotep. They both drained people's life force to heal themselves. In doing so, the Emperor would have uh, gained more elements uh, and turned his victims into terracotta and shattered them. After draining one character, the Emperor mummy inherits his victim's eyes, like Imhotep did in one of the scenes from the second movie. Just as Imhotep made impressions of his face in sand and water in the first two films, the mummy Emperor would have done the same, making an avalanche uh, with his face appearing in it. The mummification sequence was also more graphic, as the Emperor's heart would have become visible through his chest, pumping black blood through his veins and out of his pores, and molten clay cover his clothes and his body before superheated, hardened by intense white light beams that are from within him. That wasn't even the most of it. Like, that was only a part of it. They were also storylines that talked about how the O'Connells worked with, like, uh, during World War II in espionage form to protect Chinese people against, like, Japanese tyranny during that time period. There was even going to be a Chinese resistance fighter that was uh working to save his people that would have later been captured by the japanese army and thus the mummy army that actually fought at the end of the movie was supposed to be a chinese freedom fighting army that is just taking down a mummy army yeah kind of like the magi's hopelessly fighting uh anubis's army Later, at the monastery in the Himalayas ransacked by Japanese soldiers, they encounter a Tibetan monk they dubbed Tequila who joins the group, leading them to the Temple of Whispering Skulls and accompanying them to the Great Wall. Why do I not, like, why did you think I wouldn't want Tequila in this movie? The world could use more Tequila. The Dragon Emperor showed more of his mastery over the five Chinese elephants. He freezes and unfreezes a river to escape. Rapidly shoots fireballs from his hands. We could have got a Jet Li Dragon Ball Z moment where he was just like key bass fiery like crazy screaming. We could have had that. But no, we don't get that. He uh, would have made a rain cloud with water from the spring of eternal life to raise his army from the dead. 
He would have never been a uh, going on. He would have never been a shapeshifter. There would have been no dragon, and uh, to ward off the emperor. Instead of a one-on-one fight between Rick and the Dragon Emperor, the O'Connells try to complete a ritual involving the five elements to unlock the River of Spirits, the Emperor's enemies' souls beneath the Great Wall to defeat the Terracotta soldiers as the Emperor tries to stop them. Rick tells the Emperor to give Imhotep his regards after delivering the killing blow. The Terracotta oh, that curse upon been much cooler. So much better. The Terracotta curse like upon you're... Shangri-La ends with the Emperor's death, freeing its inhabitants, including Zhu Yang. That would have been so much cooler instead of like, you know, go ahead, rule eternal in hell if you'd have just said, like, give my regards to Imhotep. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> um, so that sounds really messy, and it sounds like it's kind of too much going on. Some of it sounds pretty good, actually. Even though but it's But a messy. lot of it also sounds really stupid still. <laughs> yeah, but it still would have been a better follow-up. It to the more second interesting than movie. what we were watching. Like, look, if you would have made that original like script, like you would have arrayed, like, stuck with that original story, critically, that movie wouldn't have done well. Critics weren't going to love it. But the audiences probably would have ate that shit up because it's just that fun. Movie. Because the first movie... The first movie people love, but it's not like it's a fucking like masterpiece that, you know, like was going to win Oscars and awards or anything. It was a fun movie. So the second movie was a fun movie. This is not a fun movie. This is a bad movie. But your first draft, even though it would have been a bad movie, would have still been a fun movie. Would have at least been interesting, even if it was a terrible mess. Even if it was a terrible mess, it would have at least given... Like, you could have... And again, you could cut some stuff out. You could have trimmed some stuff out, of course. Oh, like, always, and you would have. <coughs> but you didn't trim here. You made a just... You took a really cool concept and thought to yourself, how much trimming and water do I need to add before I think anyone can watch this? And you went too far. I know you wanted a PG-13 rating. I know you wanted to follow the vibe of the the first two movies, but you didn't. You just didn't. I think we got to ask ourselves an important question. What question is that? Squaring. Yeah? So did you like it? No, I didn't. I fucking didn't like it. I hated it. It sucked. This was terrible. I cannot believe we started the year off with this fucking movie. I went in this year excited. I was ready for this, and it was just like, nah, this shit, like, whoo. So, Kaz, yes. did you like it? No, not really. I heard that this movie was bad by reputation. Neither one of us had seen this before. And, you know, when it came out, I heard nothing but like, oh, it's bad. They replaced, the, you know, the character playing Evie. And, oh, it's just so stupid and bad. And I was like, okay. It's been years now since it was released, over a decade. And uh, almost two decades. And uh, I was like, okay, it was probably overblown. It's probably like not that bad. Probably just people bitching and complaining as people do. Uh, but I didn't actually know how. I was like, it's probably bad, but it's probably not as bad as people say. It is much worse than I thought it was It was going to be. And I was entertained the entire time. Not in a good way, but just because the absolute meltdown that this man, my co-host, was having the entire time of the movie. I was like, this is great. This is so fucking awful. <laughs> I would never watch this movie again unless someone was like, 
hey, I heard it's really bad. You want to check it out, see how bad it is? I was like, well, let me let me get ready for this. You're in for an adventure, sir or madam. Oh, so you're asking me if I remember the war, huh? <laughs> but I don't care about this movie. I didn't like it. It wasn't any good. So, no, I didn't like this movie. Uh... <laughs> it didn't need to happen. Anyway, thank you for listening to our show today, guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of So Did You Like It. We're back this year, and we're having a great time. Uh, I want to apologize for my behavior throughout this entire episode. I've calmed down a little bit. I haven't calmed down. I'm just pushing the emotions in the back of my head until I can get off this call and maybe scream outside for a little bit. Anyway, Kaz, where can people find you? Um, well, we're not doing as many socials here as before, since I don't know when we're going to be streaming this. So we're, we might have switched completely to podcast. Um, but you can find my shenanigans at twitch.tv forward slash second respawn. That's the number two, the letters N D and the word respawn all together. No underscores, no characters. Just twitch.tv forward slash second respawn. We play variety of games very poorly. One of which, uh, we're starting Mondays, we're doing Baldur's Gate three with uh uh Squared. Yes. I have joined uh date night with Kaz and Digibubs as they call it to do a Baldur's Gate 3 playthrough, and we've already started off to some messy shenanigans. Uh, if you want to know what I'm doing, you can just follow me on Twitter, at SirSquare, and I usually kind of post somewhat what I'm doing, and uh, I have some projects in the line that I'll be starting with our good friend and editor, Tucker, which is going to be uh, exciting, exciting stuff. Can't wait to talk more about it. But anyway, let's, let's get up to the main announcement for So Did You Like It. We're canceling the podcast. Just kidding. That's not what we're doing. Uh, so it is going to be our third year. We're starting our third year of this podcast, and it kind of feels like Kaz and I have really started to like find the flow of how we kind of want to have these conversations. So it's time for us to really kind of dive into the concept we had of this podcast. So for 2024, we are entering the year of new. Each week, with even when we have guests, even when we're doing, if we're doing like a series. Every film of this year will be a movie Kaz and I have never seen. Not one who's never seen it and the other showing it, uh, but both of us never seen it. They've either heard of it, we might have like passing knowledge of it, but we have never had the chance to sit down and watch the film. Kicking it off with The Mummy 2 of the Dragon Emperor. We're already off to a hot fucking start, everybody. <laughs> Looking forward to all these movies we know dick all about. Exactly. So I guess that brings us to our uh our next our next moment which is since we're going to be doing the year of new and when we have the year of new that means we can bring back the hat that's right kaz it's time to bring back the hat oh let me grab it this is awkward i can't believe he didn't bring the hat with him so who, for people who might not remember, we started at the end of last year to create a hat of suggestions we have gotten from uh, people who watch films with us, who listen to the podcast, uh, and we took out the films that we have already seen, or one of us has already seen. Uh, and we've also, we're supposed to, we're going to be adding movies that Kaz and I have also picked that we've never wanted seen, but we wanted to watch. Kaz, I haven't added those movies yet, so this is going to be based off of the people we watch. All right. We watch them. Okay. You hear that? Oh, yeah, great answer. Okay. 
I believe in you. Oh, shit. <laughs> the film for next week is The Equalizer 3. Oh, yeah. I haven't even seen oh, the second one. Oh, yeah. Neither <laughs> have I. I've seen the first one, but fuck it. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, boy. So, The Equalizer 3, which I believe was nominated by Ace Scorcher? Yeah. Uh, this is a pick by Ace Scorcher. We're really excited to check this out. I always love a good Denzel Washington movie. Oh, man. Look, guys, don't fucking do this, okay? Don't do this, all right? Don't do not do this to a story. Don't ever... I never want to fucking hear that you did this. I don't know who you are. I don't know who's listening to this. I don't know what stories you're writing. I better not fucking hear that Brendan you did Fraser's this. Brendan Fraser's back in the public eye, baby. He's going to be here for the fourth one. Mm-hmm.